to the wages of cinema everybody i'm jack i'm andrew nice to see you all again yes I mean, it's really <laughs> you, can you don't s- know what kind of two weeks i've had yeah well yeah like my my day wasn't that great but uh but i've had a i've had a decent week i guess you know going working seeing a couple of movies that made my life a little bit uh easier to tolerate um but before we get into <laughs> No, it's easier to tolerate, like a small child. Yes. <laughs> so you wanted to talk about something. Yeah, well, um, I've actually, the past week, you know, occasionally I'll get fascinated by a story, and even when I know that it's, I should at some point stop and maybe just leave it alone, I just, I can't stop looking about at the story of uh, what's happened with uh, Fantastic Four. Yeah, I mean, I've been looking at, Articles on the Fantastic Four, also. Yeah. I mean, every morning when I get on my computer, there's something new on 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 Yahoo or well, or, or it's, whatever. It's rare about that the Fantastic it's, you Four. don't get a fiasco like this. Like, it's one thing to get something that flops. Like Terminator Five flopped. Uh, even like Adam Sandler's new movie. I mean, that did pretty terribly. But at least that's it was revenge an Adam for kicking movie. Pacific Rim when it was down. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Wow, that's a good call. Good call. Yeah, but... Um, yeah, I don't remember the last time there's been a flop as floppy as this one. Well, not only that, it's just all of the behind-the-scenes uh, problems that are coming to light. Like, the whole oh, it, back and forth with Fox and the director, Josh Trank. It's great drama. You can't deny that. It is. It is great. Like, I... And you know what it is? I think part of it is that I have I feel little empathy... In a way, for Josh Trank, like I'm seeing all these stories about how at first everybody wanted to blame the studio because Fox has been a studio that's messed with filmmakers in the past. Yeah, like they've, David they... Fincher with Alien Three, uh, X Men Origins, Wolverine, and, and um, even the other X Men films. They really uh, they kind of messed with it. I mean, I mean, I remember depends. them talking yeah. about like they didn't want robots in the X Men movies because. Yeah, because whoever yeah, you was don't in charge want... didn't like robots. Yeah, you don't want robots in Days of Future Past. <laughs> well, that's that's different now. Yeah, but I guess it depends. Some certain filmmakers are able to manage it a little bit better. But you had Josh Trank, who he'd made one movie, and he had not even really made any short films before this, and he was given like this is a problem I think with a number of filmmakers where they uh, immediately thrust upon them these super huge gargantuan elephantine productions you know like jurassic world they had this guy colin trevorrow who had only made one other movie um rian johnson maybe has made a couple movies and he's doing star one of the new star wars movies actually josh trank was going to do another a star wars movie yeah and he but got he, fired yeah i mean he claims you know i i did i dropped out i wanted to do something personal no i think now it's kind of clear he probably got fired and well, uh, it's it's not just a problem with filmmakers. This happens to people who just who get a lot of responsibility too quickly, and yes. you know it's just it comes down to the person. And I'm not saying Josh Trank's a bad person or that you know he can't handle things, but he, he cer- 
there are a lot of times when I read articles and it seems like he was he was a man over in over his head. He was in over his head, and that's what I I feel like. He's my age. He's thirty one. He I God, I, I you're feel old. like for filmmakers that's that's like where you start. How did out. how did you get your own your own podcast, Grandpa? I had to go to the corner store and hand in my ham radio for credits. <laughs> for credits? I don't know. Are, I had some, for I was credits? Trying. Are we living in the future? <laughs> Republic credits. I don't. I don't need them. I need something more real. Yeah. I <laughs> no, but the convenience store owner was water. <laughs> what are you trying to pour some kind of Jedi mind trick? Uh, I'm a Titanian. Yeah, I um, I don't even know what he was. You, the fact that you know what I always Mako thought, is, I thought it was weird in in, in that tridarian. movie that there was an alien that just had wings and flew, even before Star Wars: Phantom Menace came out. I don't know. I just had a weird feeling about it. Hmm. And, and I'm not just saying this from retrospect. Like when I saw like, oh, on 60 Minutes, here's a look at the new Star Wars film. It's like, oh, that 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 alien has wings and it just hovers around. It's kind of weird. Doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> that something weird in the Star Wars universe, really. But it, it didn't seem to fit. It's like that blue alien in Jabba the Hutt's palace that looks like a stuffed animal. <laughs> yeah, the one that's like playing the yeah, it's keyboard. It's playing like a keyboard. It looks a little like an elephant. <laughs> I talk about or lazy ki- or, puppets. Or, or, or like, um, or or kind of like how um, I think in the in the cantina they just have like a, a rat. Or there was like a wolf man. Yeah, they just threw in a wolf uh, man. But but he seemed to be like that was like. But then there was like a Wookie, and it was like, oh well, they're hairy aliens. This is just a guy who happens to look a little. But well, Josh Trank. All right, just, uh, yeah, okay. I I could have been in that position. Or, yeah. or, or you know, I mean, who knows? If I didn't have a good support system, like from what I've been reading, he didn't really have. That anybody to help him or anybody to turn to. Maybe that was partly his fault. Maybe he needed better people around him to tell him, no, no, don't do that. Bad. Yeah, like, you know, he did something, too, where, you know, I couldn't see myself doing this, where he apparently hold, held, holded... Held, he secluded himself he secluded inside himself, a tent. Yeah, inside of a tent. And then was, like, direct, allegedly directing all of the actors down to... I blink and oh god oh that's the worst that's when see this is to me the new heaven's gate controversy this, this is a filmmaker who was in way over his head and michael cimino was also somebody who had made only two movies and somehow he'd be given all this you know thing and the funny thing is from what i've read supposedly fox on this movie initially they didn't want to they tried not to mess with this production. They wanted to try and come to a meeting of the minds and then let Trank do his own thing. Right. But then they realized, oh, wait a minute. We we let a filmmaker go off and make a serious version of the Fantastic Four. I which, a, this is a fun comic book. Yeah, and I mean, that was the, weir- the, the weird warning sign from the beginning, how serious mm-hmm. it, it, in tone it seemed. And yeah. Like, well... I mean, if you want to do that, fine. But is this the movie that anybody's been looking for? First of all, and second, no. is it at all is it at all uh, true to the source material? No. So you have those two things, and, and then you also have young actors who maybe can be very good if they're in the right hands. But I mean, these are certainly kind of good actors. Devices. Yeah, I mean, Miles Teller proved himself well in Whiplash. Uh, Michael Jordan, Michael B. Jordan, and. Uh, 
in uh, Fruitvale Station, uh, Cape Mara, and why why they had Jamie Bell as the thing is probably the most puzzling casting choice to me. Well, no, you... I, at this point, this is the least important problem with yeah the it's like casting a black guy as johnny storm is the least of their problems the fact well, i that... wouldn't say that's <laughs> no no I'm, I'm just saying i'm not like uh, that's not i knew you didn't mean, mean that yeah, uh but the point but is, is I, that i'm just fascinated by this story oh yeah i mean it's like every great cinematic train wreck <sighs> you, er, you want to dissect it and you want to just you want to poke fun of it and you want to really i want to feel out the, what you want to feel the tragedy on. i want to find out what was going on behind closed doors and stuff you know this is like this is like uh dune or uh or um north uh, <laughs> well i don't know see i wonder if north came out exactly as they intended it and it was just a piece of shit well because i don't know if that was exactly a train wreck that wasn't like bonfire of the vanities that was rob reiner who had so much control and yeah i guess in a way but I'm but just, it is similar the, to Heaven's well, Gate as well. Well, but as it's you like, said. but in this case, Fantastic Four. The other thing too. Now again, I haven't seen the movie, but from what I've heard, one thing usually, you know how trailers they usually lie. But I read an article how, except for the Mad Max Fury Road trailer. Well, yeah, well, that, yeah, that is the movie. <laughs> but there were apparently at least twelve things in that trailer that were not in the movie at all, including. Now, you, did you see the trailer really? for Fantastic Four? I saw... Do you remember? Yeah, I, I remember the first trailer. Well, I remember you, a lot of glowering and uh, kind of do you remember lava-filled the, landscapes. Do you remember at the end of the trailer, it's like they show Miles Teller's at a control desk or something, and they're like, how long is it? Two minutes. And they show like the thing falling from an airplane, and he's going to drop onto some base or something, like the Hulk. And he's like, I might guess. be a little less. That's not in the movie. It's a big action set piece is not in this movie. There are things that this movie advertises that are not in the movie. So one thing that Fox is definitely guilty of is jipping their audience. People going to see this movie who, even if you don't know about the clusterfuck that this movie is, you're getting cheated with a movie that, you know, like was like mostly reshot uh, to try to salvage something, which I don't know. But the point is, I just wanted to bring that up and, uh, Oh, and really fast, um, and good news, the Hateful Eight trailer was oh, released. Yeah. I watched that just last night. Yes, and that looks uh, now, uh, pretty good. I, it looks good. I just don't, uh, it didn't excite me like Django and Chains trailer did, because I really mm. don't have as clear a concept of what the story is about. I mean, there are obviously these bounty hunters, mm-hmm. and uh, a bunch of people show up, and then one of them is not who they appear to be, so... It's, well, it's the thing. <laughs> the movie is the thing. In fact, they even have Kurt Russell in there, and at one point he says, one of us is not who he says he is. So it's And they're in a snowbound location. They can't get out. Although I just don't understand the nature of the threat or the nature of... I'm guessing that will probably come the, in another trailer. Uh, For now, this is kind of a teaser, in a way. Pretty long teaser. No, that's Tarantino. He, he does what he wants. No, but I mean, like, first trailer comes out for Inglorious Bastards. It's about a bunch of commandos who scalp Nazis and are trying to fight Hitler. Okay, mm. pretty simple. All right, that's we can pretty much yeah. guess what that's about. Uh, Django and Chains. It's about about an escaped slave who becomes a bounty hunter and hunts he's and is looking for his wife. There, that's pretty. That's pretty easy. So this one, it's about two bounty hunters and a person who's not what they say they are. <laughs> uh, you know, I have to wonder if, in a way, 
Tarantino's still keeping guarded a little bit because... Um, well, maybe, like, but that doesn't make it a better trailer. No, maybe not. Now, I'm I, still I, excited for this. There are so I am, many cool-looking things gonna about be, it. I really want to see this because, it, it, again, it looks like a, a return to the spaghetti western formula that he did with Django Unchained. Django and Unchained, I love that. But, I he's love... Also, but he's also expanding on some things. Like, Now, have you seen The Great Silence? No, but I know you know about basic it. look. It's Sergio Corbucci movie with uh, Klaus Kinski, uh, Klaus Kinski and I think Franco Nero. That's a really good movie that I think was probably a big inspiration for this. It's right, a the snowbound. snowbound territory. It's a snowbound yeah. western. I right. like that aspect of it. Django Unchained had like five minutes of that too, where he's training in the snow. Yeah, and uh, I just find that kind of fa- like a cool way to to do a movie that, that that you're in this snowbound location. It's the 19th century. You can't go anywhere. You can't ply yourself out. And uh, in a way, I, I I have to wonder if this movie. Tarantino and in, in he's he's doing like a fun contradiction. He's shooting the movie in seventy millimeter, like the biggest format that you have, and you know there are only maybe 50, and it only takes place inside of a cabin. Yeah, it's Reservoir Dogs as a western because Reservoir Dogs was also a movie about one of us is not who he says he is. We we're gonna or like have to a find bottle movie. Yeah, where a it takes place movie. in only one location. A bottle movie. It could be a play. Now, I mean, that's super intriguing. I just wish the trailer was a little better. Yeah, maybe I'm so. still going to see this. There in the were enough though, cool things because I'm I mean, insane. There were there so. were a lot of funny moments. Tim Roth is like a yeah, I'm a pissy Englishman. I like that. <laughs> just Samuel Jackson. Oh yeah. But what can you say? Um, yeah, cast looks good. Movie looks uh, very intriguing. So. All right. All right, let's get on with our... Enough of the foreplay. Enough of the foreplay. Let's get on to the big two-minute movie mile. And uh, the interesting thing this week, I think, is that for the first time in Months. quite a while, yeah, Andrew has seen more movies than me. Yeah, I had a super busy week, so I squeezed in a lot of yes, movies. Yes, whereas I've been working like 12 hours a day, four days a week, so I haven't had as much time. But I still got to see some movies, and uh, a couple. Uh, some, I'm really excited to talk about some of them. But that means I get to go first. So, yeah. you ready, Jack? Oh, wait, let me set up the phone. Okay, let me know when you're... If you want our theme song, it's now on iTunes. We should, like, record that. It could be, like, the theme song to Doug. Like, that's a terrible idea. But uh, all right, so when, let me know when you're set. Hold on, uh, I'm ready. Okay, and let's go. All right, the first is the vanishing. Okay, I've heard of this. Yes, the original, right? Not the, the original remake. vanishing, which uh, is a movie from the '80s. It's a horror. Oh, movie, Oh, it's right? so '80s. It's kind of a <laughs> horror movie that takes place in uh, in France. Uh, it's about a couple. They go on vacation in France, and the woman goes into a convenience store and disappears. And it's about and uh, it's and the boyfriend begins this obsessive quest to find her. Okay. Uh, and we also find out really uh, in the first half of the movie who did it and uh, okay. kind of what the kind of uh, why they did it. It's uh, a bit of a murder mystery too. Not really a mystery. The real mystery comes uh, from what actually happened because the boyfriend he's looking for. <laughs> he's looking for his girlfriend. She's basically disappeared into thin air, and he wants to figure out exactly what happened to her, what this man did. Yeah. And uh, eventually, I, here's a weird thing. I knew the ending of The Vanishing okay. because it was spoiled on <clears throat> national TV. It's a great ending. It? National uh, TV? 
national TV. Like, if it, it was TV, <coughs> forget it. All right, so... Because I, well, I don't know that much about this movie, so... All right, so I knew the ending, but I was able to pull, see, see a lot more, or, like... They say when you know the ending, you're able to appreciate things, stories better. Yeah. And I found a lot of cues in it that really pointed towards the ending that I wouldn't have noticed without knowing it. But the the villain is this guy named uh, Mr. uh, Lermon, who's just this average person who's kind of a psychopath, but he's not he's not frothing frothing at the mouth or anything. He just foaming at the mouth. Right. He's just he's like, oh, let's see if I can do this. And he (laughs) does do it, and. He's the most interesting person in this film. And the boyfriend is just kind of this dick because he really doesn't care about much. He's just obsessed like a child of, like, how did the magic trick happen? Tell me, tell me. And Time. Yeah. So, pretty good, though? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you it heard it here good. first. Like, and I... So, what do you give this movie, Roger? I give it... I don't know. Uh, all right, all your right. turn, Jack. Okay. Ready, set, go. Uh, the Gift... Um, this starts out like, uh, it is kind of a psychological thriller in a lot of ways. Oh, this is a recent movie. It it? is just out in theaters now. Hopefully it's still there when you're listening to this. It stars uh, Jason Bateman and Rebecca Hall. They're this married couple who just, they move into this new, uh, house in this neighborhood. Um, but they run, but he run, they run into, uh, this guy played by Joel Edgerton, uh, who directed the movie. Um, and, uh, it, he, uh, Joel Edgerton and Jason Bateman knew each other when they were younger. And, uh, they, it seems like they have kind of a past, but you don't, at first it seems kind of just like, well, this guy's name is Gordo. He was nicknamed the weirdo in school. And he yeah. was kind of like a weird kid who got picked on. Well, when but, you have the name Gordo, it's, your, your fate is pretty much set. Yeah. But then there, there, it seems like the, but as the movie goes on, you suddenly start to realize, wait, so as this guy Gordo is kind of stalking this uh, couple, he kind of keeps coming to their house and leaving little gifts at their front door. And at first, the movie starts out, it seems like at first a really well-made Lifetime movie or something. That This guy's a stalker, he might have an attraction for the wife. Uh, and the wife at first is kind of like, oh, I think he's not that bad. And Jason <laughs> Bates like, no, trust me, this guy was weird. But then halfway through the movie... Like the the filmmaker just completely twists things, but in a way that is genuinely, it's more about character. It's always all about character. It you suddenly change your perspectives about the characters, and yet at the same time everything is still in a kind of a gray area. By the end of the movie, it's like by this point you've felt a little bit more sorry for Gordo, but he's still a terrible person in a lot of ways. And yet as well, Jason Bateman co- character is too. The acting is really tremendous. You could. I really hope Joel Edgerton does uh, more things as a filmmaker. Go see it. It's Time. a sleeper. All right. Yes. Just, All and right. by the way, not to be confused with the Sam Raimi movie of the same name, which nobody remembers but me. <laughs> you don't remember the gift with Kate Blanchett and Keanu Reeves, Giovanni Ribisi? None of this rings a bell. Who's Sam Raimi? He's the guy that works over at the convenience store. Sometimes. <laughs> All right, gives let's me get to the books. next one. Okay, and go. All right, Fantastic Mr. Fox by Wes Anderson. Oh, had you seen this before? No. Sweet. This is my first Wes Anderson film. 
Interesting. Yeah. But even though I've never seen another Wes Anderson film, I knew instantly this was a Wes Anderson film. Not because it's on the cover, but because of just how it looks. By now, you have seen the Wes Anderson style. Even just being around. yeah, Um, Like weird wallpapers and people sitting in chairs. And like people (laughs) staring directly at the camera. Yeah. Panning shots that move completely in a straight line. Offbeat characters and weird families. Comedy that is... Uh, funny, yet un- very outrageous, un-funny. and yet kind of deadpan at the same time. Oh yeah, and it's a, it's it's like Scott Pilgrim, one of the excellent adaptations hmm. of film. Yeah, because uh, I love this book. This is my one of my favorite books. I've never kid. read the book. Okay, Wes Anderson comes through most, but Roald Dahl also comes. Uh, I I know Roald, Roald Dahl's kind of you know style. Yeah. Uh, so, but you can really see that too. Uh. It's really interesting that he was able to do this, uh, put uh, put his stamp put his, in put an his stamp movie. on on an animated film, and it's gorgeous too because it, uh, all the characters, uh, the main character is Mr. Fox, who's voiced by George Clooney, yeah. who doesn't like. Whenever you hear George Clooney speak, you always know it's George Clooney, sure. But but even though I wasn't able to forget that, it's still. Great, because it's George Clooney, so yeah. who cares? Meryl Streep is, plays Mrs. Fox. Bill, Bill Murray is the Badger. I didn't know it was Bill Murray until really? the credits. Okay. Yeah. They have a lot of good voice work here. A lot of good music. I love how they pull in Street Fighting Man as they're trying to get yeah. away from the farmers. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, final thoughts? Oh, it's just, uh... It's a magical It's a movie. really great animated film. And yeah. I would recommend it to everybody yeah. of all ages. Uh, time. You're disloyal. Did you say you're disloyal? You've seen the movie, haven't you? Oh, oh yes. Are you cussing at me? <laughs> Are you cussing at me? All right, all right, all right, right. That's enough. That's enough. All right. Uh, your turn. Ready, right. set, go. Uh, I watched uh the Dark Knight again. Oh, cool. I showed it. I, to... I gotta watch the Dark Knight again because it as flawed as that movie is, it it's just it's it still hold, it doesn't hold up. It does. It, all right, hold uh, on. not not like how it used to. The performances generally hell, hold up, but the story is kind of crap. The story has a lot of problems. The Dark Knight is flawed. Oh man, there is are it certain flawed. things that are impossible. And it came even more to me because I hadn't seen the full movie in a lot of years, and to me, this movie it resembles like a magic trick. You know, the first time you see it, you're like, oh my god, how'd they do this? I can't believe the thing with the Batman and the Joker and then the the city and then all these things happen. And then you see the movie again and again, and then it's the law of diminishing returns. It's like the more times I watch it, it's just like, you know, certain movies... I think it's also because of how when a movie is held up to a certain standard, like when The Dark Knight came out, and even to an extent for years afterwards... The monster success that it was... People called it the new Godfather. People called it the new fucking Citizen Kane. This movie got overrated. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not. I, sure. Oh, I believe you. And it's not that. It's no. It's not that. Like, it now, is of course, the best Batman film ever made. I don't know if I can agree with that. I, I agree like, with it. I still because... think Tim Burton's Batman is the best. No. I even think that Batman Begins is better than The Dark Knight. Oh yeah, Batman Begins still is really good. Yes, I, I think I the think story makes more sense in Batman. Because. Well, you also have a bet. You have a more of an emotional through line. You're following Bruce Wayne's growth and journey here. Right. Like, if anything, Christian Bale, I found actually kind of bland. Like, he actually doesn't hold up really well. Aside from the Batman voice, forget that. As Bruce Wayne, I just thought he was kind of boring. 
Aaron Eckhart is actually really underrated here. I think he's actually really good, even though the third act kind of lets him down. Five seconds, say the rest in your Batman voice. This action is visually incoherent. I tell you to watch time. In the Cut by Jim Emerson. Time, time, time. This city just showed you that's full of people. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Good. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Uh, by the way, uh, one of the best... La, 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 la. It's my turn. Uh, yeah, it's on. All right. This guy. This guy. All right, go. Oh, Russian Ark. Have you heard of this? I have. I, I have not seen... I know it's, it's a one-shot movie. Yeah, it All is. All in one shot, although... It is the one-shot movie. Yes. It's it's about... It, if, is it set in the museum? Yes, it's set okay. in the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg. Okay. And it's a journey through Russian history. Now, I, I'm a history guy, but I don't know a lot about Russian history, so I think there's a lot in this film that I missed. because Simply because I just, I'm just ignorant of Russian history. Okay. Uh, but it's done in one take... This film does what Alfred Hitchcock couldn't do in Rope because of the technical limitations of film cameras. This is digital. Is so, it? Yes. Oh, okay. It's digital, and you don't have to switch out the film. You just have to keep going. I actually didn't know it was digital. I thought they were still using film on this movie. There was no but way you could have done film. There, you could never carry enough film. So they do don't that. have those moments where they would change the no, film. No, this is, this is truly one take. There's, I mean, Sometimes there's a, digi- like, there's a digital effect to... When they had to move things, they would, you know, you'd okay. have to take this out. Here's here's my question: Is it are there moments where it gets a little distracting, like it almost becomes self conscious no, that you're noticing it's, it? It's you really don't pay attention to it, but it still has an effect on you. It has this really relaxing uh, effect on you when you watch it, it and you feel like. You're really free to move around in this museum. Cool. And, you know, there's all the museum sounds of, like, people's feet on the floor and, and breathing and just moving around. And you just feel totally relaxed. And you feel like you can go anywhere. Yeah. Like, you're un, you're unfettered by anything it's in like, time and space. So it's almost like you're there with these guys in this museum. Um, so it has a good story. Well, the story is just kind of loose. There are these two characters. There's the, the point... There There's your point of view, and there's this French aristocrat who's just really walking around criticizing everything uh but it's just uh, a lot of fun i'm gonna watch this again someday time good i'm i've been intrigued to watch this for years i just never I just never got around to it. all right your turn okay go uh train wreck the new judd apatow movie which is the uh, breakout film for amy schumer right yes and bill Hader. yeah well bill Hader's been around amy schumer i mean he's be, in it yeah yeah he plays what this movie and does, lebron james Man, LeBron James... All right, I gotta go off on him for a second. He's hysterical in this movie. I told you! Why did you tell me? You didn't tell me that. I asked the question a few episodes. Can LeBron James act? He can. I I'll thought you, so. Yes. Well, here's here's what this movie does. The, I, the sort of gimmick, but it becomes like... But they actually commit to it, and you believe these characters. They switch around the roles in what you would see in a romantic comedy... I mean, Amy Schumer is basically playing, like, what a guy would be in any comedy. She, she inhabits the male stereotype. She's sleeping, she she's sleeping around with a lot of guys. She's not really committing to everybody. She has a lot of one-night stands. Uh, then she gets assigned to do the, you know... Of course, in romantic comedies, the person works at a magazine. She gets assigned right. to work with Bill Hader. And Bill Hader is this guy who works for sports. Bill Hader is kind of a chick. <laughs> he works for sports. He's a sports doctor. Sorry. Yeah, he works in all sports. <laughs> <laughs> like Keith Over. Okay, so he works with okay. LeBron James. Yeah, 
he and LeBron James, all right, there's a scene in this movie where the two of them are having, like, kind of, like, one of these sort of petty arguments that you'd usually see between two women in a romantic comedy. Right. And LeBron James is even more of the chick. <laughs> and, like, they're having, like, an argument about, like, going to, ha- like, to, like, Cleveland versus Miami. <laughs> and, like, Cleveland is not the same as Miami. And, like, all these different things. <laughs> LeBron- and it's hysterical yeah. because it's LeBron James. Yeah. I mean, well, there are also there are a few sports guys in this movie. Uh, LeBron James sports shows up. Guys. This guy, Mortal Morty Stottlemyre. I don't know if I pronounce it right. He's in Knicks. All right, but the point is, this movie is very funny. Uh, the drama is also very good. Uh, this is probably the best Apatow movie I'd seen since uh, Knocked Up. So go time. see it. Oh, I wish I had more time for that. But, all right, we've cleared that up, though. LeBron James can act. There, you heard it here first. Whether folks. he should get Space Jam two, I don't know. Now let's keep going because I still have a ton of work. I know, not I work, know. movies. I always confuse those two things. All right, work it, work it, Andrew. Go. Uh, the Illusionist, not the Edward Norton one. The animated, the animated one, film. yes, by the French animator Sylvain Chomet. I hope I pronounced that right. The guy who did Triplets of Vel- Bel- Labba. Yes, Belleville. I, I have seen this movie. Right. Uh. So, it's the story of uh, a French magician who's mm-hmm. looking for work. He goes all the way up to Scotland mm-hmm. and meets a girl, and she becomes his admirer and follower. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's about their life together. Yeah, it's um, like with Trippets of Belleville, but like well, the way that this guy's work can be looked at is that he, he doesn't really have dialogue in these movies. At least, no. not that much. I. Maybe there are a couple and here's of lines the thing. in the illusion. It has a lot of classic silent film sort of setups. Oh yeah, this guy loves his his silent cinema. There's this part where uh, the girl she she cooks this recipe and the magician comes home. Yeah. And he's eating, and uh, his pet rabbit is missing, and he happens to see that the rest that the cookbook is opened up to a rabbit recipe. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a pretty good. All right, movie. and that's classic silent film stuff. I, I actually, I the thing I remember in this movie is that he's uh, about to go on stage to do his magic show, and I think he does it, but he doesn't really get that much of a response. But then he goes off stage, and like a version of the Rolling Stones come on stage, uh, and it, all these just, screaming girls. It are takes there. place in the fifties when you know all rock right, and well, roll is becoming huge, and this is the, I mean. and this is the main background. It's like. He, you know, he's a stage magician, but times are changing and rock and roll is taking over over culture. Yeah. And, you know, he, he's this aging magician. Even though he's he's an excellent magician, he's just... Uh, he's his a man time, out of time. His time has come to an end. Exactly. And it's this sort of melancholy tale about about his life and trying to also support this girl who yeah. uh, who's just uh, with him. And uh, just kind of somber ending. Not a sad ending, but... Uh, I think that this is a very lovely movie. I could see why it didn't win the year up was. There, I agree. I, I, time. Yeah. 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 It's tough. All right. It is a lovely little movie. Okay. <clears throat> Your turn. I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to go from new movies to classic Start. movies. All right. How the West was won. Um, you know anything about this movie? Uh, I've heard of the West. You've heard of the West. Okay. Um... So this movie was made at the height of when Hollywood was churning out a lot of big, huge epics. Uh, and this one especially, it was one of the few movies ever shot in Cinerama. And this was with a gigantic camera. Cinerama. Cinerama. And it was almost like they shot, it was like three lenses in one film. So the, pro- so pro- the problem for a lot of years on DVD, if you try to watch this movie, you would actually see two lines cut in the frame where 
you know, they would have like kind of three projectors back to back to show, to make the screen even bigger. And what this movie basically is though, is a presentation of how the West was quote one. Um, in a way it jumps around by killing Indians. It jumps around in time. Uh, in a way it's a little bit like the cloud Atlas of the West or something like that, because even though it has, it has multiple stories, but characters kind of come back later on in the story that were there before, but they're older. Uh, I don't know if that entirely works. Um, it's an anthology movie in a way. So like that, you know, some episodes are better than others. You know, every guy is in this movie practically. Uh, James, Jimmy Stewart, Gregory Peck, um, Debbie Reynolds, uh, Lee Van Cleef and Eli Wallach. Oh, nice. Um, and, uh, oh God, who else is in this movie? Oh, uh, John Wayne. Directed by John Ford, he does a segment called The Civil War, which I wish was longer, because that was actually a really good segment. Probably the best segment is actually at the end, involving the railroad, and that has Eli Wallach as the villain, of course. Um, So a lot of this was gorgeous to look at. Some of it hasn't aged well at all. Uh, Jimmy Stewart woos a girl who is much too young for him at one point. It's a little uncomfortable. Well, that was a little more common time. Yep. Yep. How the West was done. And shit. (laughs) <laughs> if you want to check out my full review of that you're by a, the way you're you can, a true poet jack if you want to check out my full review of that by the way in case you're curious to read more it's on my blog at the cemeterium um and maybe i'll link all right so let's go to the next one go porco rosso oh uh, a hayao miyazaki movie yeah yes. uh I, uh, voice, did you watch the english language version yeah then you got michael keaton voicing uh porco rosso right uh, and this is kind of a, this is like an adventure movie. Uh, you kind of see, uh, years before the wind rises, his fascination with, uh, planes. I have noticed that there is a, there, flight keeps coming up in... He loves, like, it, flying around in movies. Yeah, and not just, like, it, the wind ri- not the wind rises. Uh, well, that's the most well, recent example. Element. But then there's, uh... There's the cat bus in Totoro. That, well, yeah, but that's a little different. Yeah. There's Kiki's Delivery Service, you know, flying on a broom. There's, there's also... Some, there's flying around in the Spirit of the Valley. the Valley of the Wind, where airplanes feature prominently. Yes. And this, which is all about this pilot, uh, an Italian pilot, uh, who has been cursed to look Be like a pig. a pig because of cowardice. And he spends his time hunting down air pirates. Yes, there's uh, a lot of competition, I remember, in this movie. Ostensibly, it takes place in our world, but it's this very fanciful world where air pirates exist. uh, Which is pretty awesome, actually. And I remember the Nostalgia Critic talked about this film, and he said, why does he have to be a pig? Why does that... (laughs) Like, it doesn't make any sense. Why can't it be some other curse? And he's like, well... And really, when it comes right down to it, why does he have to be a pig? Because it looks cool. Yeah, because I mean, it gives him it gives the movie a little bit of an edge to, as opposed to just yeah it has movie. he has a lot of personality as a pig and you know it just looks nice I mean you got to put something on the cover to make people want to see this movie there's a pig who's a pilot yeah usually kids like animals yeah um, I thought Michael Keaton did some fun voice work here I really remember the climax of this kind of well right because it involves like. Uh, him dueling or something with these other air pirates. Am right. I correct in that? Yes, it is a duel. But it's really good. Alright, time. Yep. Fun movie. Alright, your turn. Next. Oh, uh, go. The Babadook. Alright. The Babadook. Duke. Duke. 
Um, all right. If you see the movie, you'll understand what that means. This is a Australian horror movie from the uh, a new female director, Jennifer Kent. I think it might be her first feature, which is really incredible. Um, at first, this seems to be a, uh, kind of, if not a haunted house movie, kind of in the vein of The Evil Dead, where uh, this book shows up on this on this mother's house, and she reads this book to her kid, and it's pretty evil. Mistake number one. <laughs> yes, mistake number one. Um, <laughs> especially when the book looks like it's drawn by early Tim Burton. Um, oh, God. And uh, what happens is that things from the book start to kind of manifest in uh, this house. Um, at first, you kind of think that this kid is, you know, it might be the kind of thing where the kid, you know, is pointing out that the Duke is here, the Duke is this, and blah, blah, blah. But And then it's like, oh, do we believe him? But of course really, not. But like with the gift, um, this is a movie where all then it becomes becomes a movie kind of about like mother parental abuse. In a really? way. It's like what happens when the mother has all these demons and the book starts to get to her in a big way. She starts having these visions and they're super nightmarish and um, the relationship between the mother and the son is really what holds the movie together in a lot of ways because they both need to protect each other, and you know you don't you don't want either one to really fall, so you're really hoping that the Babadook quote unquote doesn't get them. Um, right. A lot of really fantastic imagery, and for horror fans, this and it follows have kind of helped to make bright spots in the genre, and I can't recommend this movie enough. Time. Could you heard it here. That. He can't recommend this movie. The Baba Duke, Duke, Duke. All right. My turn. Yeah, okay, go ahead. All right. The movie that nearly ruined my Sunday, Hard Candy. Oh. <laughs> um, I, You know, it's weird. I okay. really like this movie until... This is a very point. good movie. It's I, very disturbing. Because well we well now this is Ellen Page's breakthrough performance. Oh. Before even Duno. I told a friend about this and I said, Oh, you got uh, have you ever heard of Hard Candy? Uh, you should see it. It's kinda messed up. It has, and it has Ellen Page. It's like, Oh, Ellen Page, my favorite actor who is drunk from the fountain of youth. <laughs> she she must be like thirty five right now and she still looks like yeah, she's twelve. I think she's about our age. <laughs> but still, well, your age, old timer. Uh <laughs> But here's the thing. I watched this movie, and I could not figure out who to root for. Mm. Well, because this... well, it's a true psychological thriller. Like, because you're you're put in this situation where basically you're watching somebody torturing somebody for most of the movie. Oh yeah, uh, torturing in a big way. Very, yeah, involving, very specific torture involving a man's genitals. Yeah. Uh, the the basic story is that there's uh, there's a man named. Uh, I don't remember the character's name. It's Patrick Wilson. Yeah, his name is Patrick Wilson. Yeah. Uh, and he he meets Ellen Page, who's this 14-year-old, uh, and he's like 28. So it's, already it's pretty icky. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when she gets to his apartment, she drugs him, ties him up, and she says, I'm going to castrate you. And yeah. that's not a euphemism <laughs> for anything. Uh, yes. But it's it, it goes back and forth. Like, and I couldn't figure out who... Who I should get behind because every time I want I want I, I want to get behind someone they just turned out to be worse than I than you, I ever thought so I'm like yes. okay let's step back and I'll just like think of it like a chess match 
intense. In a way, Whoever I, wins, wins. Yeah, it was pretty intense. In a weird way, I almost wish the movie went a little further by the time it's climbing. I think came. it went for, far enough. Time. <laughs> for the squeamish guest time. All right. Your turn, Jack. Oh, wait, Go. Um, oh, wait, you ready? No, no, not quite. Hold on, I think I missed a movie here. Um, fuck, I messed up the timing, I think. Um... Hold on, son. Porco Russo, and I talked about the the, the Baba Porco Duke. Russo, the Baba Duke, and then Hard Candy. Hard Candy. Okay. All right. What's next? And uh, go. Okay, I'm ready. All right, Apocalypse Now. I watched my one of my favorite movies of all time on the big screen. Oh yeah. You know, it's uh, funny. I just listened to our first podcast because. I have nothing better to do. To, and to, I, hear, and I remember, to hear how like to hear how shoddy it was. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, but yeah, Apocalypse Now. Really, um, oh, it's man. a film I should revisit. It was a movie that. I mean, Hearts of Darkness is on my list for. That's true. You'll be hearing about that sort of this. But on this was in a way my bucket list to see this movie on a big screen, and I was glad I did it because once the Ride the Valkyrie sequence started. In a theater with full surround sound, like that movie was the sound design of that movie. I think I don't know if I talked about that enough in that podcast, but that might have the best sound design in any oh. movie ever. Like, like the Valkyrie sequence, I felt like I was there. Also, the theater I saw it in, the air conditioning wasn't on, so <laughs> I was dripping with sweat. It's like I kept on looking at Martin Sheen, and throughout that movie, he's just like coated in sweat he's like looking at letters and We're all that kind of stuff yeah it's like the horror the um but like even little things if you see this movie in a theater, still if you get a chance to see this movie in the theater i'm telling you audience go see this movie in the theater there are scene that like the scene where they're going to uh get the mangoes and then the tiger comes out you hear the whole jungle around you in the theater Ooh. it's much different than if you're watching on a tv like um, you know, and I think also watching it again, yeah, the Marlon Brando sequence, is it the best part of the movie? No, but it is still, I think, kind of underrated. I think actually, by the time you get to this point in the movie, um, it's a crucial point because, um, you know, yeah, you can laugh at him saying like, the horror, but it's about what he found. It's not even so much about what Martin Sheen finds in him. It's about how war has devastated everybody in the world. Time. So, God, I fucking love that movie. All right. Um, okay. Have you have you put the explicit uh, thing on any of our podcasts at all? <laughs> I I think that this isn't meant for kids. Hopefully, they know that. Kids know that. Sure. All right. Uh, my all turn. right. Ready. Set. Go. Persepolis. Oh, uh, you've had a bit of an animated time. Uh, what do you think of this movie? It's uh, really good. I know a movie is really good because I don't take a lot of notes during it. Hmm, yeah, <laughs> uh, well, this is based it's on a comic uh, by uh, an Iranian author. Right, uh, uh, Marjan Satrapi, who directed yes. this film. She Well, she co-directed it. Right, I mean. But yes. Uh, but it's about her life uh, in late 20th century Iran, right around the time of the... Uh, Iranian Revolution. Of the, of the overthrow of the Shah and the, and the rise of the Ayatollah. Uh but it's following it, her, you know, coming of age. It's following that how, as well. Yeah, she she's kind. Of, at first, it follows her in a couple different stages. When she's a little girl, and then when she's a teenager, and uh, a young woman. Um, I mean, one of the things I I always have to remember from this is uh, her rendition of "I Have a Tiger." Yeah, 
<laughs> I love that. Um, what it, were some of the other things? worthy but charming. What was? What were some of the other things that impressed you? Like this the was... visuals uh, kind of remind me. The black and white at times remind me of this artist Edward Gorey. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah the guy who did the mystery mm-hmm. anime design yes. for that PBS series. Uh, they remind me a lot of that sometimes, especially when things get really kind of uh, grisly. And right. when you, there are these very stark images on the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not sure what else to say about it. It's just really good. Mm. Um, well, uh, let's talk about, though, really fast. Like, do you think that it's, uh, um, like, does it go deeper oh, than here's, other Oh, here's, here's the big thing. Uh, animation is a medium. Okay. Instead of just being, like, a... Uh, Instead of being a genre, and you use it to show things that you don't normally show, worlds that we've barely seen. Mm-hmm. And what world is more foreign to us in the West than Iran yeah. in the 70s and 80s? Mm-hmm. I think that's the big strength of this movie. All right, time. Um, yeah. That probably would be a good double feature with. Uh, I, I talked about this movie a little while back called A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Yes. Which is also an Iranian film. Go! By a woman. Ah! Um, Paper Towns. Um, and this is my last movie. Oh, the John Green film. Yes, the the second adaptation of a John Green book to the screen. John Green. <laughs> we have against John Green. He, <laughs> he, I, I am Salieri to his Mozart. You wish you want to be John Green. No, I want to ruin his life. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, but the filmmakers, they you know, John Green was just an executive producer. He didn't really have anything involved with this movie. Except um, for writing the novel. That is true. The, the story is very John Green. I didn't read the book of Paper Towns, but I read the book of Faulkner Stars, and so I can kind of see the stylistic ticks. He's somebody who I feel like is akin to Diablo Cody. He has a very oh. hyper-witty style for his characters. Um, the thing about the story... I would give it a mild recommendation. This is a mild thumbs up. Um, the strength about this movie for me involves uh, this the main character of Margot Roth Spiegelman. Hopefully, I said that right. And right. she's this like kind of version of a manic pixie dream girl. At least at first, you know, she takes the main character out one night to do all these misdeeds to get back at like her friends and exes. And um, and then she just disappears, and then the movie becomes kind of like a mystery road trip to try to find her. I really love where the movie ends up. I feel like the resolution with uh, when the main character finds out about Margaret Spiegelman is very interesting, but. A lot of the movies kind of just <laughs> Margot Roth Spiegelman was the sled. Maybe <laughs> matter speaking, um, you know, it's it's a part of it too. And this sounds like a weird thing to say, but as a 31 year old man, I feel like I'm a little old for this movie. For its audience, it's good, but I'm not a teenager anymore. If you're a teenager, go see this movie. But for me, time. Eh. Okay, you're a man out of time, Jack. I'm I'm a man out of time, yeah. Uh, yes, I'm trying to just track where where I'm at with my with my movies right now because I I'm a little bit out of place with. Uh, well, while you do that, how about you let me talk about my film? I could do that. Um, hold on, one just one more second, Andrew, and I'll be ready to go. Um, one, three, five, seven, six, eight, nine. Ten. You're gonna cut this part out of the podcast, right? Um, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
No, I will. I will cut this out. I will. I will leave the audience out of the fray of whatever it is. Oh, thank God! Now okay, I can say what I so really now, think of the audience. But the, good, but the good news is, you actually are going on a marathon now because I am yes! done with all my movies. So, ready, audience? We're getting I've never done this on the before. treadmill. Uh, ready, set. Go. All right, Coraline, directed by Henry Selick. Oh, boy. Uh, I, this uh, has Keith David and John Hodgman and, and uh, what's her name? I forgot about John Dakota Hodgman. Dakota Fanning. And uh, yes. you don't realize it's Dakota Fanning because she's actually really good you in, realize in this it's voice Keith part. David because oh, yeah, he's Keith David. All right, but he's but you know you recognize him by his voice, so I'll, I'll give him a pass. Right. So this comes from the Neil Gaiman novel. involves uh, a little girl going through... Uh, you know, she has kind of seemingly normal life, but she kind of goes through. Uh, is does she go through like a wall or something? In the she movie? finds a door in that behind the wallpaper. She goes through it with a key, and she finds this weird, uh, super nice version of her own family, uh, which is awesome because her regular family is too busy for. Her. Uh, yeah, great animation. Oh man, I, there's so many things that are just so delicate. Like from... in the beginning, there's this needly hand. It just looks like a bunch of needles put together, and it's such a delicate thing to animate. Yeah. Uh, it comes from one of the masters, Henry Selleck. Right. And there are two characters I love, the two actresses that live in the bot at, in the cellar of her house, mm -hmm. because they're, they're sisters, but then you also realize that they were actresses in uh, erotic versions of Shakespeare. <laughs> were they? Yes, because there are posters on their wall that have titles like Julius Sees Her and King Lear oh. with two E's. <laughs> and I knew it was awesome because I knew that children wow. wouldn't understand. That's pretty cool. I love when movies do that. When like you get something as a kid and then you go back years later. And, and later on, you like they're in this part where it's like one is 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 so busty and the other her her bottom is great. Uh, yeah. It's, it's it becomes super obvious. That it, you know, it's just one of those great things where you're an adult and you can feel comfortable because there are children around and you don't... Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, it's good. Great. Good story. Good. Great. <laughs> uh, you have anything else to say about it? No. All right, then, time. I spent all my words on those two sisters. That's okay. All right. Yeah. Your turn. Up. No, characters. my turn again. No, go. All right, Watership Down. Good, yes. You this... saw one of the seminal animated films of all time. Oh, and this is great. Yeah, this this um, is about all right. About this rabbits. is this is like the animated animal version of Mad Max. Um, Let me explain. Okay, okay there are these rabbits. It's pretty much set up from the beginning from the from the prologue that rabbits are well. They've kind of well. They've lost their home and they're trying to find a new place. Right, these to rabbits live. have lost their their home because it's being developed by humans mm -hmm. and. These, the rabbits have to go through, and they're constantly in danger from other animals, from humans. They get caught in snares, mm -hmm. which are, and it gets really bloody sometimes. Oh yeah, this, and this and is not this is not really a movie for kids, even it, though it involves I would rabbits. disagree. You think it could be for kids? Kids see things like Transformers. This is, well, that's in modern but age. This is. You mean it's a sophisticated. This is a very film. sophisticated film, and the similar and the similarities to Mad Max are this really kind of desperate environment where. Okay. I it, it's a struggle for survival, and at the end there's this character, this rabbit general named Wound War. He, he's kind of the villain. Who, who's like the Immortan Joe of his world. He's yeah. he's bringing rabbits together, and he won't let them leave. And he won't, uh, and he rules over them with an iron fist, uh -huh. and has and sets up these classes yeah. of warriors and un underlings. Yeah, and you know, men can take what 
the males can take whichever <laughs> does they want. Yeah. And it's so Mad Max. It's like, it, it's post-apocalyptic, except men are the apocalypse for rabbits. <laughs> men are the apocalypse. Yes. And, but uh, then, like, and, it's, and it can be violent and it can be dark, but it also has these really sublime moments. Oh, yeah. Like, and especially at the end, and, and the sublime moments are so powerful because everything has been so bleak and such a struggle that when you finally have those moments, you're just like, ah, oh, yes, finally. Yes, and that is time. One of the best animated films. Wow, okay. Yeah. Vo- voice with John Hurt. Right. Okay, you ready? Oh, give me a minute. <laughs> All right, here See, we go. See, now you know how it feels, Andrew. <laughs> All right, go. Waking Sleeping Beauty, directed by Don Hahn. I actually recommended this movie to you. Yeah, and it's a really fascinating uh, account of what we now call the Disney Renaissance. Yes, the, it, it the tracks to- the time. Well, it sort of starts in the early 80s, and then it kind of tracks through to the end of The Lion King. Yeah, uh, it's... Uh, for those of you who don't know, Disney was struggling in the early 80s. Yes. And, uh, because The Fox and the like... Hound was like the last movie for, w- that featured original Disney animators. But the thing about The Fox and the Hound is Don Bluth was supposed to work on that, but he quit and took a lot of the animators with them. Oh. So the, the, the release was delayed by six months because of that. That's something they cover in the movie. Okay. Uh, but it's... Uh, and then... The Black Cauldron was and, where and they here's started the low point. To... Here's the low point, which I love. Black Cauldron came out and was outdone by the Care Bears movie. <laughs> oh, God. Disney uh, has that sting on them forever. Although, <laughs> although, because the, although they still were ma- they still managed to salvage something, because you remember the Gummy Bears? Yeah. Yeah, the Gummy Bears is basically a very loose adaptation of the Black Cauldron. Huh. Yeah. I remember Gummy Bears on TV. I, I, I it must was probably be before as old as your you. time. Like, no, no, I remember it. Okay, on the you Disney do. Afternoon. That was one of their very first. Uh, but then things. it's it's like all oh, the reorganization and the, and the crazy things that happened through the eighties and the nineties, like going through the Little Mermaid and people, Jeffrey you know, Katzenberg working their asses off to make these films. Yeah. And ah uh, man, it, it seems like a so nightmare. Many great stories. It seems like a nightmare, and like you know, the greatest years of your life all rolled together. Yeah, it, and then of course behind the scenes things were falling apart, and by the time the end of the Lion King, it all it becomes weird. Well, uh, well, and Lion King becomes the one of the biggest grossing movies of all time. Right, and I love movies like this. I will say though that Disney is taking a good opportunity to write their own history, uh, so they should do that. But also there should be other people. Time. Uh, you should get your thoughts together, Andrew. All right. Um, all right. You ready? Yeah. And go. Clueless. As if. I know. This came out in 1995. This is and a, this, I guess this what you've been could, out now for 20 years. I guess what you could say about this film is that it's a 90s movie. Very much so. I, you and I, we know what an 80s film is. Mm-hmm. I, and this, and I, I, this is the first time I ever said, yeah, this is a 90s movie. And. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because sometimes when people say things like whatever or as if, you, you get the sense that they're not completely committed to it. Like, this was not even a thing in the yeah. 90s. And it's very artificial. I don't think anything about this film is realistic. But what it does really well is that it builds this world and these characters. Yes. So it's, okay, maybe this wasn't really what the 90s were. Or maybe this isn't really what was going on. But... This is the world that this film takes place in, yeah. and you either accept that or you don't. Well, yeah, and also it's a loose adaptation of Emma. Emma. The the book. Oh, I've never by read. Jane Austen. I mean, I haven't read it either. I, That's oh, just I what I've heard. That. Yeah, well, it's because Emma oh, was has... also a story about a, a, girl, a woman who kind of helps out 
at times like other women who are struggling in their romantic pursuits. Oh. Which is what, you know, that's what Alicia Silverstone does for Brittany Murphy. Yeah, and Alicia Silverstone is great in this. Oh, and yeah, Paul she's Rudd so is in this. Paul Rudd's very like, young. I Paul think it Rudd. might be his first movie. Well, or one of his first. That's a, it's a pretty good movie then for him. I mean, he does great in this. Yeah, uh, he he really makes a splash. Dan Hedaya, I think, is really good as her father. And I think this is a romantic comedy that came about before romantic comedies got ruined. Yeah, well, it's 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 really fun because you're not really looking for like, all right, are, is this couple going together? But you're just watching Alicia Silverstone and Paul Rudd, and you're thinking, wow, they play, work really well together. They're very friendly. Will they get together, maybe? Who knows? But I never even considered them, like, a possibility, yeah. uh, which is pretty much to the film's credit. And, you know, it was kind of like, oh, well, that took me by surprise. As if. It's time. <laughs> All right, so I think you're done, right? Oh, I'm done. Yes. Yeah, so, Oh, Andrew, this feels great. Yeah, don't you feel like you just uh, took a bite of, like, the uh, adrenal adrenaline gland or something? I don't think that's a thing you do, but yes, it does I was about feel to that way. I was about to say, like, adrenochrome, but I didn't think you'd get that reference. It's from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And I was trying to think of something else, but that didn't work out. Well, um, all right, so, if, and if you like, if you're interested in any of the movies that we talked about, you should watch them. Uh, they're available on video, DVD, on demand. VHS. Yeah, 8-track. Yeah, 8-track. Check out Apocalypse Now on beta and, and see if it plays well. Um, and if you have any suggestions for us or have any thoughts about the movies we talked about, Seriously, though, if any of you have seen a movie on beta, I'd really like to know what that's like. I am too. I, you know what? Actually, in the side note, if um, the angry video game nerd, or I should say the real guy, James Rolfe, he actually went through a whole demonstration series about different video yeah, formats. Yeah, I remember he did a bunch of video. He formats. showed what laser disc looks like, and those weird big discs inside those plastic covers. You mean laser disc? No, 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 no. There was another kind of disc that was like as big as laser disc. Look, we're getting beside the point. Yes, but the point is, send us an email at wagesofcinema at gmail.com. Uh, like our Facebook page, and you'll be able to see some uh, clips and other goodies and videos from uh, the movies that we talk about. Um, and also subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already. Uh, and, and write a review. Yes, please help us out and uh, give us some ratings. Um and uh, and we'll have a big announcement, I believe, very soon to give you about our first live event that we'll be doing. Uh, I don't know when you want to talk about that, Andrew, but we can talk Things about Things are still soon. in the planning stages. Uh, but Hopefully we can... we'll be able to give you some more concrete information in the next uh, episode. Yes, it'll, we can tell you vaguely it will be sometime in the, next, in the next month or two. It'll be in September. Thank you. Uh, so we'll be back in a few minutes with uh, our lists of the week.